This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Brought to you by Betway.com. Betway for the sport of it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm Phelps, Jeff Phelps. My buddy is Mike Fratello, former NBA coach with the Atlanta Hawks, Cleveland Cavaliers, Memphis Grizzlies, and now, of course, doing TV work with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. You look like you're back in the home base, sir, but you look like you just arrived. And I know that for a fact because you told me so. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a a whirlwind here since the new year began, and I'm building up my mileage, that's for sure. Uh, but the changes in uh, in state to state, I was in a zero-degree environment this morning when I left to get back to lovely Cleveland, which was 36 degrees. So I felt like I took a trip to Hawaii or Vegas when I landed. That's outstanding. You came to Cleveland for the weather, Mike. Yes, well I done. did. Imagine that. <laughs> Cavaliers aren't here right now. The Cavaliers are on a five-game West Coast road trip. Those are always tough for East Coast teams. It started last night in Denver, Mike. It didn't go well. Cavaliers lost that game 121-108. to Darius Garland was back after missing three games with his thumb injury. And the Cavs, oddly enough, won all three of the games that Darius sat out. We'll get into that. But last night, Donovan Mitchell was out because of rest. Cavs lost. Karis LeVert had 22. Darius Garland had 21. Tough situation to play in Denver. They're a good team, Mike. And here you didn't have Darius for three, and then he's back, but you didn't have Donovan last night. Is that more difficult on the coaching staff? Is it more difficult on the players to to kind of juggle guys in and out and not have your crew back out there like you want? I think it's difficult on both you know both sides of it. From the coaching standpoint, uh, I don't know if the people understand, Jeff, but a lot of times – Every organization is different, but a lot of times coaches, and I'm not saying this is the Cleveland staff. I'm saying what's going on in the league. Uh, A lot of times these coaches are not finding out who is able to play until they get to the arena that night. Wow. They don't know during the shoot around the morning. They don't know in the afternoon, the players are either undergoing treatment or they want to wait till the players get over to the arena ahead of everybody else and try to get a little work, you know, work out in to see how they feel. And then the staff and the staff is consisting nowadays of way more people than it used to be. The one trainer that made the decisions. Now you have so many people that are involved with this decision-making process who then tell the head coach so-and-so can go, or he's out for tonight. Now you start, the juggling act of who's going to start, who's coming off the bench first, second. Oh, by the way, what plays are we running? And now the players are affected by who we're playing next to. Mm -hmm. It's not the same as rolling out the same five guys every night, the familiarity of that. And it seemed to me like that's the way it used to be when I was coaching that you knew who your starting five were. And they were basically your starting five for most of the games during the year. And the other guys knew I'm coming in first. He's coming in second. He's coming in third. My starters were going to get somewhere like 38 to 40 minutes a night. And the guys off the bench were getting whatever's left, 16 minutes, 18 minutes, depending on 
foul trouble, injuries, etc. Not that way right now for these coaches. And I feel for some of them because it's very hard you know, trying to do to try and do this juggling act. Cavs on this road trip, Mike, and it's been an interesting dynamic for them. They've they've been outstanding at home. And outstanding, like as good as you're gonna get. They were 18, 18 and four at home before they went out on the road. And they're on this stretch now. It's five straight on the road and nine of 12 on the road. Cavs, after the loss in Denver, are 7-11 and 11 on the road, which is a huge contrast to the 18-4 and four at home. And oddly enough to me, eight teams in the Eastern Conference actually have better road records percentage-wise than the Cavaliers right now. And it just doesn't seem to – it doesn't seem right. You know, a team that's playing so well at home – and not that they're playing terrible ball on the road. If you can play 500 on the road, you know, that works. But it's odd to me, Mike, that eight teams in the East are a little bit better on the road than the Cavaliers right now. Well, this this could be a very long answer that I give you, but I'll, I'll try and shorten it down, Jeff. We have improved so much because of technology, computers that we have in working schedules out for teams. They've tried to be considerate of the wear and tear, the travel. So for the you know first time in I don't know how long, maybe ever, you're seeing teams play the same team back-to-back nights right. in the same city sometimes. So if it's a team that's in your conference and you're going to play them four times during the year, you'll see where you go into a city – uh, let's say you go into a Philadelphia and you play Philadelphia on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, and then you go on to the rest of the schedule. Uh, that never happened. We didn't have that. Do you like that idea, though? Do you like it? I understand where they're going there. How how many times do you get splits out of that series? Yeah. You don't have to come back and travel there again. But where I was going with this is there are X number of nights now where you get what co- coaches are calling – schedule wins where you actually mm-hmm. get a chance to get two days or three days in between your last game and the next game. Meanwhile, the team you're playing is coming in on the second night of a back-to-back as happened to the Clippers when they got done getting destroyed in Denver, get on the plane that night, fly from Denver, two hour difference from Cleveland fly to Minnesota, one hour difference from Cleveland, one hour difference from Denver, arrive in the hotel at 4 a.m. in the morning and get up that night and play a 7 o'clock game or 8 o'clock game their time uh, in uh, Minnesota. And And that's what you just went through with the Clippers. Exactly. So that's a schedule win for Minnesota because Minnesota wasn't playing back-to-back games. Minnesota's sitting home, and here the Clippers have to go not only through the time zones, but coming in at the time they did in the morning in the hotel, not playing with Paul George, not playing with Kawhi Leonard, not playing with Nick Batum, Mm. and now here's Minnesota waiting for them, and the schedule helped Minnesota very much with that win. And now, you know, well, the Clippers, they go back, and that's five straight losses for them. So I'm trying to give all the reasons what, what's happening now, why so many teams are doing better at home, not as good on the road, and it could be part of the problem. We'd have to look into who has missed these road games 
you know, for the Cavaliers, the reason they have the record they do, who they're playing, has the other team been resting? There's a lot that goes into it. Cavs right now, best home record in the Eastern Conference. And again, eight teams in the East, uh, as we're talking now, with a better winning percentage on the road than the Cavaliers. It's kind of strange. Great start, though, Mike, for... 2023 with the Cavs they lost or they won their last game in 2022 and then won two straight at home before they went out on the road fourth place right now they're two and a half games out of first place and we're about halfway through the season right now 40 games in for the Cavaliers and it's starting to feel Mike and things can obviously shift and adjust and an injury will affect a lot of things but it's feeling like the top five teams in the east maybe separating themselves just a little bit. And it, it's Boston on top right now. They're a game ahead of Brooklyn. Milwaukee's two games back. Cavs are two and a half games back. And then I think the 76ers are right there. They've been pretty hot as of late and, and put together a really nice stretch. They're three and a half games out. And after that, you have the Knicks at five and a half, Pacers five and a half, Heat at six and a half, who I think you know might be a team that can sneak up there, and Chicago and Atlanta. But Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Philadelphia, that's a pretty serious five grouping. And four of those teams, Mike, I think are teams that everybody thought would be either the top four teams or knocking on the door for that. And the Cavs aren't one of those. I think Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly are the teams that most folks thought, all right, these are the teams to beat. Cavs are in there right now. They've been in there all season long. You think they can hang? Can they stay in that grouping? Or can they, you know, even move up and threaten a little bit more? Or do you see them kind of settling into where they are right now, Mike, which is fourth, maybe third, fifth, sixth in that range? What, what do you think? It's an interesting group of five teams that you just mentioned there. Yeah. And let me let me point this out in the beginning. Of the five teams that you mentioned, I want to go down real quick. Boston, Tatum, Brooklyn, Kevin Durant, yeah. Milwaukee. Giannis, Cavaliers, Donovan Mitchell, Philadelphia, Embiid. What do each of those teams have in common? They each have a potential MVP candidate on their team. If you think about how the teams are playing, how those guys are playing, what their numbers are. Yeah, to have one of those special guys on your team that can have a big night on a given night that you can count on night in and night out to show up. All of a sudden you look and you're saying, hey, that happened to be the top five teams in the Eastern Conference that we're talking. That's how important having a superstar is to your team. So when the Cavs went out and did the deal that they did to get Donovan Mitchell, they did an incredible job. Kobe Altman and his group of front office people knew what they were doing. More importantly, they knew what they were getting and were willing to give up what they felt they had to give up and the trade right now has wound up being a good trade for both teams. Markkinen's playing his best basketball for Utah. Forget about all the first-round picks down the road because who knows who's going to be available in those years and where the picks will be. And if the Cavs okay, are playing well and stay healthy, they'll be winning a lot of games. So the picks could be in the mid to low 20s. Who knows? Uh, but you got a special player who has put you in that category. So now to go back to your question, can they hang in there? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, they certainly can. But you're going to have to break the season down, fragment the season into small segments and say, what can we do to give these guys that 
biscuit out in front of them and say, <laughs> okay, we're on this five game road trip. Yeah. We'll, we'll, can we go three, two on this road trip? Can we, can we win three of the five games on the road trip? So you start out and the team that they happened to play last night may be the best team in the Western conference, by the way, first place I, right now. Yeah. I happened to see that team two nights ago when they dismantled the Clippers and took them apart. It was so bad that Ty Lue, the coach of the Clippers, took everyone out that started the game and did not put him back in the second half. Wow. He, he just started the second half with his second unit and did not put his first group back in. That's how upset he was. That's how disappointed he was with the effort. However, we've got to give credit to Denver for how well they played. And Jokic is maybe this far away from getting his third MVP yeah. Uh, award because he is really, really good. I mean, this is a big man who you look at his numbers, look what he does. And why do the other guys on his team cut so hard, run so hard, screen so well? Because they know he's going to give them the basketball if they are open and they read your defense, you turn your head, they cut and Jokic finds them because he knows what's going on. He understands the game so well. So they're playing extremely well. They're getting better at the defensive end of the floor. Uh, Mike Malone, their coach, has done one heck of a job. So game number one on the road trip doesn't go so well. They go now, I believe, to Phoenix next. Mm-hmm. And Phoenix is a team who's struggling. No Booker. We saw how they can be without Booker. We escaped with a win at home, a 90-88 to 88 win, with them getting the last shot of the game. Now you go into their building. And you're going to be playing a team who has been in a down slide trying to break this thing when they finally get back home off that horrendous road trip where they went one and five. So can they get the Phoenix game? Of course they can. After the Phoenix game, they go to Utah. Can they beat Utah? Of course they can beat Utah. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy, but it's something that they can do. Then after Utah, I'm trying to remember who they have next in the last two, Jeff. Minnesota's the last game of that trip, Mike. And, and Portland. Uh, Portland at Portland is a very tough game. Portland plays well in their own building. But can they be – yeah, they can be beaten. You're going to have to play well. And Minnesota, who I saw play well last night, that's the end of the trip. So you've got to get your mind straight so that you're not saying, I want to get out of here and go home. The trip's finally <laughs> over. you got to go in there and say, we need to grab this game. We need this last game of the road trip. Kind of like – Phoenix did when they played us. They were one and four, and they wanted to go home two and you know two and four rather than one and five at the end of that trip, which they did. This is basketball gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello, NBA head coach, NBA color analyst. I'm Jeff Phelps. We were talking about the Cavaliers on the road trip, Mike. First game of the road trip in Denver. Cavs did not get the win. Donovan Mitchell sat out. And we're going to talk about resting players coming up in our next segment. But Donovan Mitchell sat out last night. I think we can understand why. He's seventh in the NBA in minutes played right now. He played 50 in the overtime win over Chicago. Uh, Cavs are two and three without Donovan this year. He's averaging 36.7 minutes per game. That's three more than last season. It's two and a half more than his career high. However, You talked about MVP candidates, Mike. He put on an MVP show Monday against Chicago. He had 58 points in regulation. And he had the most critical two points that 
turned out to be a lane violation that wasn't called, but we'll get into that. And then 13 points in overtime. That's a 71-point game. You're talking about an MVP performance, a guy who can put up MVP numbers, be an MVP for a team. There it was on display for everybody to see. Just a phenomenal game. New Cavalier franchise record for points in a game with 71. He couldn't miss. He didn't have Darius Garland. He carried his team to a victory against Chicago. I'm going to hit you with a little trivia question right here. I don't, right, mean, to you on, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but Uh-oh. when you drive from the airport in Cleveland yeah. towards where I live, what is the highway number that you're driving on? Oh, catchy. That would be How about that? 71. How about that? Okay. <laughs> and that made me think of Donovan Mitchell on the way in. That I bet it did. The young man wound up uh, putting that kind of – uh, number up on the board at the end of the game, which to get, he had to go to overtime. Okay. He had to get to that overtime to be yep. able to have a chance at that 71. And he got himself to the overtime with his team by carrying them. And those are the performances that, you know, we're used to associating them with people. Uh, most recently, let's say Kobe's, for example, uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry's, of course, you go back, Michael Jordan, those kind of people could put, uh, 60s and 70s up. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give you an interesting number. All right. Uh, let me let me give you a little perspective on this first, though. And it follows up exactly what you just said, Mike. Donovan is now one of six players in NBA history who have scored 70 or more in a game. Wilt did it five times. Kobe, David Thompson, Elgin Baylor, David Robinson. He tied the eighth highest scoring game in NBA history with the 71 points and it's just the 12th game of 70 or more points in NBA history. So, you know, if everybody thinks it was just a fun little game where he scored 71, Oh no, it was of major historic importance and proportions in the NBA. It it was a phenomenal effort. And it wasn't a 71 point performance in a runaway game by the Cavaliers where they were up by 25 or 30 points the entire night. Every bucket of his, basically, until overtime, they're coming from behind, trying to catch up, trying to give themselves a chance to hang in there. Yeah, when they went down 12 or 13, whatever the biggest number was in that game that they were down, um, every basket he made seemed to be huge, cut into that lead, give themselves a chance. And I coached, I was blessed, blessed to coach one of the most prolific scorers in NBA history, and that was Dominique Wilkins. And Dominique scored 40 or more points 56 times in his career. Wow. He scored 50 or more points seven times in his career. His high twice was 57 points in two games. Never 60, never 70. So to me, it makes Donovan Mitchell's performance, it's like, wow, that's that's really hard to do. If you're coaching that game, and I, I love what J.B. Bickerstaff said afterwards. He, he said, you know, hey, he's got it going. Get out of his way. <laughs> he told the rest of the guys, get out of his way. That Mike, I would think, on one hand, that's tough for a coach to tell his team. On the other hand, if a guy's playing like that and is hotter than, than Donovan Mitchell was that game, how do you not just say get out of his way and give him the basketball? I, I – kind of smiled when I heard JB's comments because I remember that was part of my thinking in game seven against Boston uh, in the playoffs 
when Dominique wound up with 47 points. And I, at times in the game, said, just let him go. And I think his teammates understood this guy is yeah. on a roll, an incredible roll. So he might shoot one bad shot, okay, of all the rest of the shots. But he's making so many shots, and he's carrying the team. They understand. They want him to keep going. They want to win the game, and he knows he's got it going. And as a coach, you're seeing it. What are you going to do, call one of your plays so your your, your ego gets involved and says, like, oh, I called that play and he got a bucket. No, he, he got a lot of buckets on his own. And you understand that, and you kind of let it ride, like JB said. The one thing, Mike, you know, Donovan's not Will Chamberlain. He's not, you know, seven foot tall. He's not David Robinson. You know, Kobe is was a bigger guy, you know, as a as a shooting guard, a small forward. David Thompson was what, six four, and Elgin six four. To me, a, a guy who is Donovan's size, let, let's say six two. And at his size, Man, you've got to be on, and you've really got to work because you're not getting a whole lot of easy baskets, I wouldn't think. And, and to me, that makes it even that much more impressive. What I'm a little surprised of is that they didn't come and get the ball out of his hands more often. Mm. Once you see the other guy's got it going, bring that second guy make him give it up and see if somebody else on the team can get a hot hand. So you run the second guy at him. Donovan's not going to force a shot against two people. He's not that kind of player. So he'll most likely give it up. You don't you don't have your second best guy there, which is Garland in the backcourt, who can make shots from behind the three-point line on a regular basis. So see if that next guy, uh, whether it would be Karis LeVert or, you know, is it Okoro or whoever might be out there at that time, can they make the shots that Donovan was making? Or, or you're just going to sit there and watch this guy basically assassinate you uh, as he's putting that game together of 71 points. That's what I was surprised about doing that game, watching that game that he didn't have more. What, what do you think as a guy, you know, who, who was coached in the league and been an outstanding coach in the league when you watch that type of a performance, Mike, I mean, what, what was going through your head? You didn't know. I obviously in the beginning what it seemed like he had it going you don't know at those times what's going to happen, uh, how far they're going to fall behind. Is he going to get pulled out of the game if they fall too far behind? Um, is he going to be able to keep it going? Because as you know, Jeff, a lot of times a player is one player in the first half, and when he comes out after that break, he's cooled off or he's mentally somewhere else and it doesn't have the same kind of second half that he had in the first half. So you don't know all those things in the beginning. But then when the second half started, he you see him again, uh, performing at the level he was performing at, you, you just you don't know how this whole thing is going to wind up. And from a coaching standpoint, I, I'm always like, wouldn't it be sad if he had this great game, this incredible game, and yeah. they lose the game, where he can't have the joy of a great performance and a great win. He's going to have the joy of the performance, but he's going to know that his team did not do what they set out to do that night and get a W. So both things happened, which made it terrific for the city, for him, for his teammates. That was a great night. Perfect example of what you were talking about where you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'll always, uh, this one always baffled me. Remember Kevin Love had the 34-point first quarter against the Portland Trailblazers, set an NBA record for points in a first quarter, and Kevin was unbelievable. 
and he ended up with 40. And he barely touched the ball, didn't take a whole lot of shots the rest of the way, but he had that 34-point first quarter. So that, that's exactly what it is you're talking about. Do you remember if they won that game or not? Uh, they did, yeah. I, okay. I believe they did, and I believe they won pretty handily. So you you wonder without you know, having the game right in front of you, you wonder yeah. what direction, where did the ball wind up going then You know, after that first quarter? I'm assuming Kevin took a rest in the second quarter. He might have had a little bit of fatigue factor there. And now when you bring him in after sitting him down for, I don't know how long he sat for in the second quarter, did the guys get him the ball or did the nature yeah. of the game take over or it didn't come back to him again? This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, Cleveland Cavaliers, Atlanta Hawks, working way back. And, of course, longtime color analyst with TNT and now the Los Angeles Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm Jeff Phelps, and, Mike, we are now going to play commissioner. I know we've all wanted to play commissioner, whether it was David Stern or now Adam Silver. And so I'm going to throw a couple of things at us. What would we like to change in the NBA? And one thing struck me just recently, and we just talked about Donovan Mitchell's big 71-point game against Chicago. And at the end of regulation, he was at the free throw line and the Cavs were down by three. He made the first, missed the second, but jumped into the lane before the ball hit the rim. Clear lane violation was not called. He got his own rebound, put it in, tied the game, went into overtime. And then that last two minute report thing comes out from the NBA and it says, well, it was a lane violation on the final basket. I don't understand why the lane, the last two minute report is even put out, Mike, because, all right, I understand the referees need to be critiqued and everything else. Well, do you have to do that publicly? And what, what's Chicago going to say? Yeah, see, that shouldn't have counted. Yeah, well, it wasn't called and it did. Do we need the last two minute report? Jeff, I know you know the real reason why the last two-minute report came about, and that was because of the incident with the official uh, that uh, where he was suspended and mm -hmm. convicted of, uh, however you want to say, betting on games in his own way. And did that have an effect on the outcome of a game or games in the NBA? And the league was horrified when that took place. That's the last thing they ever want anyone to think is that a game is being fixed. Uh, it's a terrible, be a terrible thing for sports if that was taking place. So as a result, they tried to get as much transparency as they could be as much upfront and honest as the people say, well, the NBA is not hiding anything. Now, could they do it in a different way? I'm sure they could do the same thing that they're doing now without making it a public record. Every day a report could go out to each team, each general manager, president, owner, whatever they feel needs to be uh, covered by it. But the same report could go out so that they could see every day what's going on. But then you're not dealing with the masses, the public the fans, the people that go to the games, watch it on TV, listen to it on radio, uh, they're not understanding it. And then how would the newspapers be able to put that in the papers if they don't know it, if they weren't getting a copy of that report? I think it puts a lot of pressure 
on the officials, the three officials that worked that particular game. You know, now you know who's going to officiate a game way ahead of time. We never knew. Well, we never knew who the officials were until they walked out on the floor. Now they announce them that day. You know who the officials are doing the games. So um, is there a place for the two-minute report? After what happened and how it happened and the fear of what could take place, I understand why the NBA uh, decided they wanted to do that. I also feel for the people that are affected by that, and that's uh, obviously officials, okay, the re- their reputations and the the heat that they have to take when they go back into a town that they made a bad call. Yeah. You think, don't you think Chicago would like them to have made that call? Uh, more importantly, where was the guy that was supposed to be blocking him out for Chicago? You know, you always uh, you always assign one guy to block out the shooter. There's the coach. There's and the coach. Jeff, we should we should tell our our viewers, listeners that uh, the guys on the lane line along the side, they're allowed to step in when the ball comes out of the shooter's hands. As soon as it's released from his hand they can step in. So while it's on its way to the basket in the air, they're already in there fighting for position. The scrum has started. But the man shooting it cannot cross the foul line until the ball hits the rim. That's a rule. And the idea is if there's anybody who knows where that ball is going because it just went off of his hand, it would be the shooter and he'd have an advantage. And we kind of saw that with Donovan Mitchell because he went to right where the ball was coming off the rim, Mike. Yeah, and, and let's face it, he was trying to miss it. Sure. And we understand coaches practice missing free throws. They, they'll When they send guys to the basket at the end of practice, all right, everybody shoot 100 free throws, or whatever it is they're going to do, um, they'll say, all right, the next set of 10, I want you to miss left. I want you to miss right. I want mm-hmm. you to see if you hit the front of the rim and it comes straight back at you. Those are things you, so guys have an idea. Where do I have to shoot it to miss it where it bounces to the right? When we missed on purpose in game seven of that Boston Atlanta series back, the great game seven, we're down to one second on the clock. Our ball hit the left side of the rim and bounced across to the right baseline. And we were in, you know, we just weren't there. That's where it hit. It bounced where we weren't. So by the time it bounced, remember, the clock doesn't start until somebody touches the basketball. So we had to get somebody to run to it while Boston's running to it. When they got there and touched it, that was the game before we could get a chance to get up there. So, um, yeah, it was a big call or non-call. Donovan Mitchell rested in Denver, Mike. And I want to touch on this a little bit. Nothing wrong with resting. We see it almost every night in the NBA, and we're seeing it all over the place. But I I did a little digging, and I wonder, and I know the NBA has put some things in, you know, we're trying to curtail some of that and, and just kind of keep it under control a little bit. But I wonder from your perspective, last season, only five players in the entire NBA appeared in all 82 games, five, and 13 players only 13 players appeared in 80 plus games. That's according to basketball reference. And so I went back 20 years to check it out just to see a little comparison in the 2002, 2003 season, 46 players played in all 82 games compared to five last season and 94 players played in 80 or more games 
compared to 13 players last year. So in 20 years, it went from five in all eight or from 46 in all 82 to five last year and 94 players playing eight or more to 13. Is this out of control now? And should they do even more to try and change that? Or is it good because you're managing your players' health, you're managing your team in a way that you're trying to maximize the schedule, the health, and everything else to have the best team on the floor come playoff time? Well, first I want to deal with, go back 20 years, and was it 45 or 46 players that you said? 46. 46, okay. And remember, back 20 years, you didn't have 17 players on a roster. Right. 15 plus two G League players like they have now. Back 20 years, you had 12 players on a roster. So the 46 becomes a different percentage when you're thinking of that number versus the number nowadays, 15 right. on the roster. Much greater percentage. Yes, much greater percentage. Um, it's There are pluses to it from the standpoint that you are trying to do the best you can do to protect your most valuable commodity for the NBA, and that's the player. Without the players, you can't have the greatness of the league. Without the players, you can't have the greatness of a championship team if they can't play because they're hurt or injured. However, for the fans mm-hmm. who every night support these teams, or the community, these are people that work hard to earn the money that they had to pay for tickets, pay for parking, pay for the concession stands, pay for the T-shirts and jerseys that they're buying. For them to pick a game out a month down the road or two months down the road and say, wow, the Clippers are coming to town. I want to go see Kawhi Leonard. I want to go see Paul George. They come that night and Kawhi Leonard or Paul George aren't there that night because of whatever the reason is for the injury or the rest purposes. As As you mentioned, it happened to be Donovan Mitchell that they sat out. And you and I understand Donovan has played a lot of minutes. And it's not like when he's playing, he's coasting most of the time. He's in the middle of the action, the middle of what's going on on so many of the plays each game. So it's a, it really is a hard question to answer as far as I don't like it from the standpoint of the fans who support these teams and who aren't getting a chance to see them. Uh, but I do understand the other side of it, of trying to protect these investments, these players that are making some of them 10 million a year, some 15 million a year, 20 million a year, 30 million dollars a year in salary, which are astronomical numbers. Well, let me ask you a question Was Michael Jordan playing 20 years ago? He was, and, and he, he played. How old, yeah. how old was he 20 years ago? He was 39, and he played in that season that we referenced. He was 39, his last year in the NBA with Washington. And how many games do you think he played, Mike? <laughs> Knowing Michael knowing in his head that it was going to be his last season, how did he want to go out? He wanted to go out showing everybody what he could do. Because that's Michael Jordan. That's what he's about. So I'd say he played 82 games. You are correct, sir. (laughs) You are correct. He played 82 games, I think, more than just a couple seasons in his career. I'm I'm looking at it right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine seasons. He played 82 games, and of course, he had a big injury and missed a bunch of games, and came back from baseball, and you know didn't play 82. But he averaged 20 points a game at the age of 39, playing in 82 games. So, and by the way, didn't he 
that season that he had the foot injury, the very serious injury when he was young, yeah. he came back and the, the team said, you're not going to play in the playoffs. And he said, yes, I am. And he played against Boston. Isn't that when he had like a 60 point game, some yeah. incredible game against the Boston Celtics? Nobody could guard him. They put everybody on the Celtics on him. And Michael just kept scoring and scoring and scoring that that's the kind of competitor that he was. So, yep. and you know, Jeff, I, I really didn't get a chance to answer your last question where you said to me, what would I change in the leap? Because we got off on that referees two, last two minute report thing. But one thing I would look at uh, would be giving coaches their challenge back. If they're correct, ah. if they win it, they get another one for the game. If they're correct on a call that was missed after the review, they don't lose that one. They have it to use again in case they want to use it in the last minute of a game. Yeah. Like in the NFL. That's what I would do. Yeah. Sir, always a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. He's Fratello. I'm Jeff Phelps. And this has been Basketball Gold. This has been Basketball Gold. Brought to you by Betway.com. Betway. Fourth of sport of it.